I really think gravel uh, racing is the future, and I think we're definitely seeing that shift over the last six to 12 months now, even with the amount of events here in Australia. Um, America has really pioneered gravel racing. Um, if you look at um, America now, there's almost no road racing at all. This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. A couple of weeks ago here in Australia, a new race called the Dirty Warney was held. It's an epic day of 246 kilometer. It ranges from 270 to almost 300 k's long, and it was, in fact, the longest one-day race in the world for a long period. And this year, came the first official edition of the Buzz of Gravel Racing. It stems from one of the most famous road races in Australia, the Melbourne to Warnable. Now, the Melbourne to Warney is one of the longest standing races in the world and a dirty Warney, the Melbourne to Warnable, but for gravel riding. And it's a symptom of the fact that gravel riding is taking off in its popularity globally. Endurance athletes love a challenge, that's no secret, and the option of gravel racing provides exactly that, with races between 8 to 12 hours long. So today on the podcast, to talk all about cycling, gravel racing, and more, we're joined by a guy with a few major gravel racing victories to his name already. He's a gun cyclist, former director of both men's and women's NRS professional racing teams, and most importantly, he's one of our cycling specialist coaches here at Tribello. So Nick Licandro, I know you've been itching to come on the podcast for a while. It's great to have finally have you on here. Welcome on. Thanks, Jordy. Yeah, it uh, probably goes to the top of the list in terms of accolades now, I think. Finally make it on the Travelo podcast. When I, when I said you could come on, you said, well, that's it. I can retire now. So. That's it. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> I told did. Jared that yet, but uh, could be time. <laughs> now, there's nothing Dad and I love more than chatting everything, cycling, training, and sport with you, Nick. So, as a coach, you're going to jump in with our gratitudes today and what's caught our attention. And then we're going to get into a bit of your cycling history as well, well as gravel racing. So, Dad... Welcome to you, to you to the episode. Uh, I know you're probably a little bit nervous about how much shit Nick and I might talk when we're together, <laughs> but start us off with uh, gratitudes for the episode. You can't be uh, emphasizing the, the safety issue of, uh, of riding a bike uh, and when you're out on the road competing with space on the bitumen with cars and pedestrians, uh, it's, a, it's a real joy to go into the bush and really kangaroos are about the only thing that's going to be... Um, <sighs> preventing you from having an enjoyable day or some trees which uh, a few of the Trivello athletes have uh, had, had some bad encounters with lately. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to talk all things gravel. Okay, my gratitude for today. Um, I don't really like picking individuals out a lot but I'm going to make an exception um, for this particular gratitude and, and I'm really grateful for the uh, opportunity that a couple of our riders in particular had uh, uh, a weekend ago at the uh, Melbourne 70.3 here in Australia. And one of those athletes uh, made his pro debut, Calvin Amos. And um, I've got to say that, uh, you know, it was really an exciting time for him and for Trivello as a, as a coaching group because we don't really push um, the elite level in our coaching. We are really all about age groupers and getting people to do their PBs, uh, getting them to enjoy the process, the journey, and getting them to, to perform better than they ever have before. But every now and then, we get some talented athletes come through through our ranks. And uh, these particular two athletes, uh, one being Calvin and one being Tom Page, both had some unbelievable uh, results on the weekend. Calvin, in his debut as a pro, ended up 10th in the pro race. Um, really improved his swimming. Um, 
pretty much rode solo uh, whilst the pros were in a pack of uh, the pros up the road were in a pack of six or seven, um, and and got off and ran ran really well and ran from uh, got off fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth sort of position and ended up tenth. Um, so ran really well, and that's our signature, isn't it? Uh, getting off the bike and running, running to your to your uh, to the stand that you want to run at, and so it was particularly encouraging to see such an outstanding performance. He wasn't overawed. He stuck to his plan. Um, he really performed and executed the way someone with a lot more experience uh, would be really pleased to do. Um, so congratulations to him, and that's I'm very grateful for the fact that he got that opportunity. And and the second athlete was was Tom Page, who's a only a 21 year old who who's come from a rowing background, and Nick knows him really well. Nick knows him as a as a um, a youngster uh, who, who was his footy coach and um, and has grown up sort of watching his progress. He's, he's a bit of a brute of a rower and um, he's turned his hand to triathlon. He's been doing it for literally five minutes and he actually won the overall race except for the pros. He was the fastest age grouper um, at, on the day um, and, he, and his time would have got him 14th in the pros, uh, which was pretty incredible when he started, you know, back with the age group pack and, um, his time on the bike was um, a, a solo ride, being an age grouper. We didn't have a, a bunch to ride with. Um, and he ended up riding a 204, which was within a minute of the pros group. You know, it, it was just an outstanding performance. And uh, and he got off and, and ran, you know, as solid as you could expect. And he only won overall by about 45 seconds. Um, so he really hung in there and ran really well, even though he had some difficulties with some nutrition issues that he's been having. We're trying to work that out. But uh, he really still managed to execute, uh, even though he's having difficulties. And that's a mark of a, a, a really uh, um, someone who's really concentrating on, on how, how to limit your losses and still make the most out of uh, the opportunity you've been given. So really grateful to see those two guys perform so well um, uh, on the big stage and uh, weren't overawed. Uh, and the, the encouraging thing was a lot of the other Trivalo athletes on that day ran some of their PBs. And that is one thing we push a lot. Um, and I'm really grateful to see so many of our guys run strongly through the field and, and remark at the end of the day, it was such a buzz to actually be passing people from halfway and never get past the whole way uh, other than a Trivello per- person passing me. Um, so, so it was really good to, to, to know that and I'm grateful that people are actually getting the message and for all those non-Trivello people out there who are, who are thinking about how to execute uh, any, any particular triathlon they're going to enter, being able to run strong at the back end of your race is such a buzz. It's it's such a good feeling. You feel like you've executed well. Your 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 confidence is high because you're holding the pace that you started with, whilst everybody around you is slowing down. And that's a great way to finish a race. And uh, so I'm really my gratitude's all around that. And I know I shouldn't be picking out people, but they're just two outstanding performances. I absolutely love that. And I want to give a quick shout out to a guy that uh, actually came up to us in Sydney. And if you listen to the last one of the last episodes, we mentioned the fact that we're going up to Celtic and he came up to us in the stadium and said, I, I knew you were going to be here because I listened to the podcast. Um, I didn't know you'd be sitting two rows away from me, uh, but he just came to say, hey, and he said, I want to say that um, I'm a negative splitter. I negative split all my races. And, and I just love that um, because it just uh, it shows that people are listening and they're, they're getting that message and running the back half strong. And I just wanted to give a shout out to all the negative splitters out there. We know you're out there. We know you're listening and, and we're, we're stoked for you. I'm very proud of you. So that's that shout out. 
Nick, moving on to your gratitude, what are you grateful for today? Uh, that was a great one, Jerry. Uh, obviously, a pretty big fan of Tom Page myself. I take a bit of credit to bringing him. Uh, he's an under-16 footy player, so I've known him for a long time now and maybe a little bit scared that I brought him to Trivalo after his bike <laughs> league at Melbourne because I feel like he's going to overtake yeah. me very quickly. Um, my gratitude, Geordie, um, is my support network. Um, I think it doesn't matter what level of athlete you are, um, how crucial it is. And sometimes um, so you can be a recreational cyclist or someone just getting into triathletes, but you have family, friends, coaches, workplaces, um, and it's uh, no different for me. Um, I feel very grateful to have um, a very supportive wife, um mum and sister came up to uh races in noosa with me um dietitians jerry is my coach um my workplace for being so flexible um people like ryan warren for strength programs and testing um so i think it's good to kind of sit back and reflect um and i really love um people like ash barty um and her mentality about having a support network um even though you you know in most cases we probably think something like tennis is an individual sport the way that she really started to talk about we instead of I um, as an athlete. So um, very grateful for my support network um, around me. That's a great point and I won't go into it too much, but you know, someone like Nick Kyrgios has the opposite mentality. He refuses to get a coach and he, he does use a lot of the I language and you know, Ash Barty's been a lot more successful than him and you can't put it down to that. That's a whole other topic, but it's, it's a really great point. Um, my gratitude is uh, quite simply the World Cup is on and I'm just so excited for it. I can't get enough of it. Um, unfortunately, the time zones are pretty average this World Cup. Uh, the games are at 9 p.m. each night, which is awesome. And then there's a midnight game, a 3 a.m. game, and a 6 a.m. game uh, each night. So we'll have to miss the middle two. But uh, anytime there's some world-class sport on, whether it's the Olympics or World Champs or Tour de France, or in this case, the World Cup, I just lap it up and can't get enough of it. So I'm absolutely stoked to once again not get much sleep for the next few weeks as I uh, commit to these games. <laughs> Moving on, Dad, what has caught your attention in the world of sport at the moment? Ooh, there's a lot going on, isn't as there, always. with the World Cup? And look, I just want to briefly f- follow on what you just said. And I want to use the World Cup as an example to all marathon runners, cyclists, gravel riders, triathletes, swimmers, Whatever your chosen sport is, the minute you resign yourself to not doing your best performance, the outcome will reflect that. And the example I'm going to use is the number one ranked team going into the World Cup, probably two teams, France, the defending champions, and Argentina are the the number one teams going into this World Cup. And Saudi Arabia are ranked the lowest. And so, of course, Argentina played Saudi Arabia the other day and, you know, the score could have been 10 nil. You know, that would have been the prediction. Um, the, the difference between the two teams is that vast. And Argentina lost 2-1 to Saudi Arabia in the opening round of the tournament. And the message is you, you have to give yourself a chance. If you don't give yourself a chance, I just don't see the point in standing on the start line. Um, and if you think that your competition is better than you, well, that's what's going to happen on the day. You don't know how well the, your opposition is going to perform or not perform on any given day. And so if you go in with the attitude that you're already second, then that is exactly what's going to happen. You just need to focus on what you can do well and you watch others around you capitulate if you're doing something really well. And I think that was the lesson that Saudi Arabia did. 
they weren't overawed by Argentina's. You know, the the money difference for the players was something like you know six hundred million dollars difference between the the amount of money that the Argentina players total to the Saudi Arabia squad, and if you let those factors influence the, your performance, they will influence your performance. And if you get overawed and let the opposition play and make a mockery of you, that's what's going to happen. But if you just stick to your own personal execution and do your role, do your job right, like every Saudi Arabia player did, you you know they were 1-0 down, they came back and 1-2-1. It's not like they got a head start. They actually stuck to their task and outplayed you know, the potential world champions. And I just think that's a great analogy for, for sport in general, that you must go into every event backing yourself and having a crack. And I must say, I watched Australia this morning and how disappointed I was at the the lack of having a crack and letting France dominate. Um, we had a great start. We, we scored the opening goal. And then they could, they could have beaten us eight eight one in the end, and said it was only four one. But but I was just so disappointed in the performance. The execution was was horrible. They just did not, you know, yell out at all. They they were feeble in their response to to everything, and let let France dominate them. And and you know, I'd rather go down fighting and having a crack and taking the game on. And that's that's you know that's kind of a little bit opposite to what I say in terms of. Um, execution in, in an Ironman but you know but you're still taking the race on if you if you set targets that you think you can achieve and try to aim for a little bit better on race day that's taking the, the event on that's the same analogy you, if you just sit back in your comfort zone and, and do something that's uh, less than what you've been able to do in training that to me is not taking your event on that's that's you hiding from the fact that you're too scared to to have a crack. Um, so, so there's a lot to learn in in the gratitude that I'm trying to get across, and and uh, really, you know, backing yourself in is and having confidence in yourself that you can do the task because you're well prepared for it. Um, so, you know, back yourself in. That's the message for this. For my gratitude. That's a great one, Nick. What's caught your attention? Uh, what's caught my attention uh, is riders entering grades uh, that they aren't ready for or wanting to move up too quickly. Um, so we've had a couple of Victorian Road Series races recently. Um, Freddie Cantura Bright um, is coming up as well. Um, and it's something that I saw um, running Giant Racing Team as well. Um, having uh, riders that are 17, 18 years old that might have only um, competed in C or B grade um, and only just finished with the Peloton, um, yet they're sending applications to want to be a part of a national road series team. Um, and I think there's two really big parts um, to it and uh, to racing at any level, any level. And one is having the physical ability uh, to be in a certain grade. And then one is also having the uh, tactical nous and, and race knowledge and bunch skills. Um, and there's both equally as crucial um, and riders wanting to progress too quickly without actually learning to win races, um, I think just ends pretty badly and really missing a crucial step in their uh, progression. I know this because I did it myself, um, was given guidance in the past um, to move up quickly um, and I think I pretty much went from C to A, pretty much skipping B completely um, and it really took me a long time to develop um, my racecraft and um, I think also took a fair whack to my cycling uh, mentality and confidence because I used to just get smashed all the time in A grade. I just wasn't ready for it. 
Um, so I think that's um, my biggest uh, thing I can pass on to young riders or really riders of any age is really making sure um, that you're winning or doing really well in multiple uh, races in that grade before you even contemplate about moving up to the next grade. Dad, I know you couldn't agree with that more. I mean, you often have athletes, um, they might be riding C or B grade and they comment something like, um, I was too strong or I was too comfortable the whole time or the wattage felt easy. And then you say, well, did you win? And they say, oh, no, no. And then something happened and you go, well, you can't move up until you've shown that and proven that you can win. And I guess that's the lesson you're trying to get across, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Spot on, uh, Nick, with uh, what's caught your attention there. It, it, it is one of the things I've got my beam, my bonnet about, you know, we have a lot of athletes who are super powerful and have had no experience whatsoever. It's okay having strength and power on the bike or as a runner being a you, – you just need to know uh, where your level in ability and your level in race tactics are. And the only way you can learn race tactics is having to work out the race. And, and if you do that in A grade and you're just the same level as everybody else, you're not going to get an opportunity to have a crack at attacking or – or, or jumping across a bunch or whereas if you start in a lower grade you get to work out how to win um, by using tactics and not sheer brute strength um, and of course you're, you're probably more powerful than the other riders but I guarantee some of the riders who've been in that grade for 20 years will still beat you because they have greater tactical they're not as fit or as powerful as you but they're just way smarter and and that's where you learn your craft is by watching others and having the opportunity to, to practice an attack or practice a breakaway or practice the sprint, a late sprint, or practice a, uh, a solo effort um, where, you know, you might get caught on the line and get done and, and realize that that's not the best thing for this particular race. Um, so these are the things that, that you need to learn. Um, it's almost like doing doing your time before you, you get to, to go to the big leagues. Um and learning how to win, um, I don't, I don't mean that that's the key thing to everything. But learning how to tactically get yourself around a race um, where you are part of the race and not really a spectator um, is actually more enjoyable than going into an A grade level when you're just hanging on, or you're actually not contributing to anything except for trying to trying to hold wheels. And to me, that's least, the least amount of fun as to why I race. I'd rather be in a race where I can actually participate and and be a part, you know an influence in the, in the race rather than a spectator, as I call it. Absolutely brilliant. Really great uh, way to think about things for any, like you said, Nick, any cyclist at any age, but I mean, specifically thinking about young riders developing, uh, but even if you're a master's athlete uh, trying to move up in grades. What's caught my attention is uh, I went for what was supposed to be a um, long endurance zone two run last week. And we often talk about on the podcast um, sticking to the right training zone, not going too hard on your easy days so that you can train well and, and properly and hard in your hard days. Um, but on this run, it happened to be the best day in Melbourne for a couple of weeks after a couple of weeks of crappy weather and rain. It was absolutely glorious. The sun was shining. I was training in the middle of the day when it was absolutely brilliant temperature. And I was just having so much fun running that I just was pushing the pace and absolutely loving it. And I made a decision mid-run, uh, mid um, sorry, not race, mid-run, um, to just not worry about my pace, not really worry about my heart rate, know that it was probably in the wrong zone, know that I was definitely above zone two uh, and I was happy to sacrifice that. And uh, there's two parts to this. The first part is it was a calculated decision uh, in that I knew my next couple of days weren't actually that hard. Um, I had uh, not, no key session coming up in the next two days. So I knew that if I did push a little bit hard, that's okay. It wasn't going to affect the week. Um, but also... 
a lot of people do comment that when they are sticking to a structured training program, it can potentially take the enjoyment out of the sport that you're doing. You're cycling, you're running, you're swimming because it feels like it's too structured and you don't have that freedom to go have fun with your mates when you want. And we want to, we always want to make some really big points in this. Then we, we just don't think that's true. You know, firstly, there are times when you can get go have fun and you can, you can plant them into your structured training week and pick your days when you, when you can go with your mates and go race each other. Um, but also, if you have the knowledge about your training week, um, you can make those calculated decisions. And um, even knowing that may, if I did have a key session coming up um, a couple of days later, um, I might have still made that decision to go a little bit harder, knowing I wasn't going to train as well, but I was happy to do it because of the nature of the day. And uh, I'd still be able to get through that key training session the next day. I didn't absolutely blow myself out, but I wasn't. Uh, but I was willing to do that, uh, knowing I was having fun at the time and knowing that I could still achieve the goal of a key session in the next couple of days. So a couple of little nuances there, but I think it's a really important point for people to remember that um, we don't want to take the enjoyment out of training. Uh, We want to keep that enjoyment there, but understand what the purpose of a structured training week is and then knowing that we can make decisions otherwise to really enjoy ourselves. I don't know what you guys think about that as coaches, but um, that was my takeaway from enjoying myself on a run. I think it's a really good point, Uh, George. I know I've been there um, myself and I think... Uh, when you are in a structured program and your A race might be something that's six months away, um, it can, at least for myself, I also get a bit mentally fatigued um, just with the structure of it. Um, and that's where, um, you know, working with Jared um, in, with my own personal program is there's occasions where um, I will jump on the mountain bike or the gravel bike um, for an endurance ride. And although I might not be in zone two and it might be a little bit less or a little bit more um the mental uh gains that i get from something different at the time and obviously as you said it's dependent on where you are and you build for a race and the sessions um but the the positive impacts of that um i think can um definitely outweigh um you know maybe some of the negatives of pushing too hard and not being able to do um you know a specific session in a couple of days time um i know doing that for me has really benefited me um, you know, in the next four to six week block, um, for example, because I have had, um, you know, that mental release of doing something slightly different. Absolutely. It's a really great point you both make. And, um, we, you know, that is, re- don't let anybody out there think that, you know, it's just regimented structure. You, you, you need to have the enjoyment factor. You know, I don't know if people are sick of me saying this, but you need to have a goal that's going to be improvement based, but the journey has to be fun. And the minute you take the fun out of it, you don't want to ride your bike or go for a run or go for a swim or whatever the sport you've chosen. The minute it's not enjoyable, you won't you won't go out and do the required necessary training uh, that's going to get you the outcome you need. And and as we know in life, if you enjoy doing something, you know how good is it to to wake up and know that oh I can't wait for today. I'm going to do this. Uh, I've got a group of mates. I'm going to go riding with. Or I'm going to go go trail running with these these guys. Or I'm going to go mountain biking over here on new trails that I haven't seen before. I'm looking forward to this. And and we want you to do that. There is scope in our program for that. And and that is a really great point you make. Um, that is the mental side that makes uh the you know you can do that once a week and get your your socializing um in that's so important to to enable you to have fun um and then the other days where you know you need to be concentrating on your numbers you, you make sure that you you're actually you know able to do that um, and if and that involves in other people as well and they're able to fit into your program then also do that 
Um, you know, we don't want people just being hermits and training, you know, solo for eight months coming into their next race. We actually don't want that. We, we want people to be in competition in races. Um, and every time you're at a race, there's people around you having a chat. It's what you, it's what you train for, you know, to, to, to get yourself to the, whether it's a grand fondo or, or just a group Saturday training session that you're looking forward to each week. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a race. It's, it, it, that's, that's what keeps us going as a human. Uh, we've got this fun factor in our life apart from our, you know, hopefully everybody enjoys their work. Um, I know, you know, that's a, a, a touchy subject for a lot of people where work's just an end, a means to an end, means to their recreation on the weekend. But, but you know, you will perform better at work if you actually enjoy it and, and get, you know, have some, some form of, uh, of, of goal setting that, that gives you feedback of satisfaction uh, and everybody knows that you, you you will feel better about things in life if things are going well and and do those things that are going to make you happy happiest and and you know don't be so strict that you are becoming the opposite to what we're trying to trying to get people to experience absolutely so we want to spend some time talking about you nick specifically and then we'll jump into some uh some discussion about gravel racing as well but i want to start with a typical question that we normally ask a guest at the start of an episode and that is what does cycling mean to you uh i was uh listening to the podcast you did with uh, sarah klein recently um and i really loved her response to this question um and for me there's no kind of simple answer on what it means to me um it's uh, it's a lot of things and I think it uh, changes depending on where exactly I am in life at that stage um, but uh, it's big part of my life from a work perspective so I work at Bike Sports and National Partnership Manager for Science and Sport and, and Santini Custom um, coaching with Trivalo um, as well um, as you mentioned I looked after a giant racing team for the last four or five years um, so it's been a big part of my life off the bike as well. And then on it, um, I've been uh, riding for six, seven, eight years now um, in a pretty serious manner um, and uh, training to a, a pretty high level and, and giving it a fair crack. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a mental release for me. It's um, great from a physical um, health aspect as well. Um, just an enjoyment, a social outlet. So it's it's so many different things, um, and yeah, it's certainly a big big part of my life. And um, you know, I think it will be for a fairly long time uh, in the future as well. Great answer. And let's just hone in a little bit on uh, on your history of your cycling career thus far. Um, just give us a little brief glimpse of what got you started in cycling. You know, who was inspirational to you? Why did you want to become a bike rider and and yeah, just gives a little bit of a journey on a uh, historic journey on how you got into it. Yeah, so I actually came to cycling uh, pretty late. So um, as a kid, uh, I played running, uh, I played running, played cricket, and and did running as well. Um, and uh, definitely enjoyed that at the time. Um, but well, majority part of my um, sporting life has been playing footy, AFL. I can't really say football here to two soccer fans, can I? <laughs> um, AFL. Um, and I actually got into cycling um, when I watched a few friends do Ballarat Half Ironman. Um, and I thought it looked like a, a pretty big challenge. I'm someone that loves challenges. A, so a big um, challenge. Yeah. The mate. 
and said we should do this next year. Um, so pretty much the next day um, we started um, training together. Um, and this is probably where I laugh now, being a Trivelo coach, looking back, and I know we've, we've laughed about it as well, looking back at my splits and my time uh, doing Ballarat Half Ironman compared to looking back wishing I had the same guidance and knowledge as, as we pass on to the Trivelo athletes because um, I didn't have the greatest splits. I think uh, compared to my time at Melbourne this year I did on the bike, I was 35, 40 minutes uh, <laughs> off what I did at Ballarat competing Um I did a few runs off the bike, but not running off a, a triathlon <laughs> bike. So um, yeah. I was bloody sore about 5Ks into the run, wondering why. Um, <laughs> definitely did it negative split. Um, so nearly all the things that we teach the triathlon athletes to do, uh, I did the opposite. Um, but after going through that, um, I just absolutely loved uh, the cycling part of it. was a horrible swimmer, so doing more um, triathlons wasn't really an option for me because I like being pretty competitive. Um, so still manage um, the next year playing football and um, trying to have a bit more of a crack at my cycling at that as well. Um, and then kind of got to the end of that year um, and realised that it kind of wasn't possible to manage the two at uh, the level that I would want. Um, I'd been playing footy for uh, probably eight to ten years at that point. I've been really fortunate to win um, a couple of premierships and um, some great personal accolades as well. And when I was a bit younger, um, went and trained with Swan Districts in the Western Australian Football League. So I kind of felt like I got everything out of um, football that I could and was kind of ready for a new challenge. Um, and for me, cycling kind of presented that, um, someone coming into the sport and, and seeing how far um, that I could get um, in a new sport was so appealing to me, um, which is why I made the transition um, across at the end of that year. Um, and I guess the, the rest is history in terms of um, you know, being cycling for six, seven, eight years. Interesting uh, start to a sport and you must shake your head uh, knowing you can pretty much ride 90k at, at just over two hours and you did two and a half hours on that day in Ballarat. You just must shake your head going, how is it possible to be a half hour better rider? Yeah, well, I, I, I guess, um, as I said, it's funny now comparing all the things that we teach at Triballo compared to me, uh, just kind of looking up on the internet, kind of what I need to do and had no real idea at all. I didn't um, didn't ride to power on the bike leg, um, didn't have a training plan, like a plan, a race plan. Um, it was more um, going by feel um, and I didn't really know exactly what going by feel even looked like um, as someone that wasn't experienced. So um, it was a really quick transition, I must admit, from a football player through to um, cycling and I think going back to what's caught my attention and progressing through too quickly. It's something that I really experienced myself. Um, so from finishing football in uh, September, I was on an NRS team by May the next year. Um, so I was riding most days of the week bar Saturday, my last year of football. Um, and then as soon as I finished in September, I got a coach um, and then was on an NRS team um, in, yeah, I think May. Um, so I progressed from riding C grade. I think I raced one grade in B and then I was racing uh, a few A grade races. Not that um, I did anything outstanding by any means. I was basically hanging on to the pack um, and then just from meeting a few people um, 
who I guess saw my commitment to training and the professionalism that I'd had from different sports that I was able to bring that through to cycling as well. So it gave me an opportunity. Um, but yeah, looking back now, that progression was way too quick and probably really impacted um, the couple of years I had as an NRS rider because basically um, I was just there making up the numbers. Um, I didn't really have any idea of racecraft, which is probably understandable given that I'd come from a sport um, or a different sport and came later. Um, but oh, yeah, I, I never experienced what it was like to be in a break or winning moves or anything like that. Um, and even um, my coaching through that period um, was completely different to it is um, now. Um, I was training 15, 20 hours a week around a full-time job, not much flexibility around my training. Uh, kind of didn't really have that communication. It was kind of just here's a plan um, you can kind of follow it if you'd like to and I'm someone that follows things to a T so I never really kind of questioned it just followed it because I thought that that was right um, you know and we fast forward I guess to now I've been with Trobello I think around three years now and even though I've been training for five years doing 15 20 hours a week and been at the NRS level I'm a far superior rider than I am now to when I was riding NRS, um, you know, so um, coming under Trivalo has just been incredible. Um, Jared often talks about you have a ceiling and when you're a really elite rider, um, if you can hold what your FTP is or increase one or two watts, we're, we're having a huge celebration. Um, and I know six months after being with Trivalo, I think I put 15 watts straight away onto my FTP as a pretty experienced cyclist. Um, so it just shows the impact of um you know having correct uh programming and guidance and different coaching it's such a great example and i i just really want to highlight this point and it's just another example where we've seen this pay off uh, most people that would look at you now would go he's an elite cyclist and he must have been that since his teenage years you know and obviously you were a very good athlete and you've got that talent but um a lot of people have talent and um they don't get to where you've gotten but uh, the point i want to make is that um, you haven't had that experience. You're in in cycling years. You're probably still relatively fresh, um, but just with consistent training, commitment to a program, and then commitment to a a better program, <laughs> you've uh, turned yourself into literally an elite category cyclist. And I think um, for anyone out there, you know, it, it can just take a few years of consistent hard work. And we we point out these examples all the time of travelo athletes that get to their third or fourth year of consistent training, and they're just completely totally transformed rider um and yeah you don't have to have had uh, that junior experience you don't have to have been riding since you were 12 years old um you know you don't have to have uh, been at this level for 10 plus years it actually just just takes a couple of years of of serious um structured training to your um ability and you can get to that level so i just think it's a great example i remember my first uh ftp test when i did um and i think it was 260 watts um you know, and as you said, probably people would look uh, now and comparing it to, um, you know, my current um, cycling ability now. Um, and really, it was three or four years of consistent training. So I certainly didn't start off, um, you know, like some genetic freak like Tadej Pojakar or anything like <laughs> yeah. that. Um, yeah. And it really has just been not only consistency, because I think you can be consistent, like I was that um, when I first started seriously getting into cycling. Um, and I said I didn't have the knowledge of the sport and what I should be doing and, and shouldn't be doing. 
Um, so and when you're going um, to someone that's giving you advice when you don't know otherwise, you just follow it. Um, so I was consistent but probably not doing um, – uh, I think my progress probably would have been even quicker had I'd been with Trivalo earlier. Um, and, you know, it's you know the same as we talked about my first triathlon. And, you know, there's a lot of athletes that come on now that are probably, like Tom, probably a very similar athlete to what I was when I first started. Yet comparing what he's been able to do in a year's time compared to a year's training for me when I wasn't, um, getting the right training and just online kind of just doing what I thought was right is really chalk and cheese. So consistency, yes, but consistency doing um, the right thing. And my thought process always has been you invest so much time irrespective of whether you're a triathlete wanting yeah. to do five and a half hours or four hours. Everyone's still putting in all the same time. It's just relative. Um, but for me, I wish I put in so much time for Ballarat Half Ironman when I just started. I'd wish um, that I had had the proper um, training and invested a bit more um, in myself and getting the right coach because the results just would have been completely different. That's a great uh, story because your engine has, you know, your, your physiological makeup is has been there, Nick, the whole time. And, and it's not like all of a sudden you've become a great rider. You had the potential back when you were 16, 18, 20, um, same as Tom, um, it's it's the consistency is important. You make that point so well, but you know, like the golfer, if you go consistently to the driving range and practice hooking, you're going to end up every time you hit a ball hooking it. So, you know, you've got to be consistently doing the right things rather than things that are actually not going to help contribute you to becoming a better performer. And so, your attention to detail is one of your biggest attributes, and and you know, understanding what the purpose of each session that you were getting and and doing it to the best of your ability and getting the recovery that you weren't getting with the previous program you were just basically riding yourself into the ground and and that seems to be would you agree the biggest difference between what you were doing before and now yeah definitely and I think when you're starting off um basically yeah I had some genetic attributes that meant um you know that was certainly helpful to being an endurance athlete but when you're doing 15 to 20 hours irrespective of what you're doing coming from zero base you're always going to improve and get better but you're only going to you're only going to reach so far and um you know that's where i think the biggest difference has been um when i first started with trivello i was actually doing less time quite quite significantly probably five six seven hours less um yet i improved so quickly and that wasn't just across you know, my 20 minute test that was nearly across the board in, in every single um, time split. Um, and it was just simply because I was doing the right training. Um, and I think that's potentially where a lot of people get caught out when they're first coming into the sport is when you're not doing any specific training whatsoever and riding your bike, getting something, you're always going to improve, but that's only going to be to a point. Um, and that's why, you know, I think really investing um, in yourself and getting um, a coach that really has the right program um, and, you know, has athletes that have shown signs of improvement over a long period of time, it's worth that investment up front um, because not only will you improve quicker, but it's sustained improvement. You aren't just going to get to a point and then plateau. Can you think of a key moment or moments um anything specific whether it was after a really successful race or a successful ftp test 
um, something that stood out to you uh, in the process once you start with Trivelo that something really clicked? Uh, I know that's kind of a hard, arbitrary question, but I'm just looking for a lesson that you've learned that you've gone, I now now, want to pass that on to your athletes and say, um, you need to learn this, you need to understand this, and this is going to help you become a better athlete. Yeah, it's a good question, George. Um, I think it almost uh, goes back to investing in yourself and really putting in the time to finding the right coach. Um, And that's going to be different for everyone. Um, But I said for me, I'd been with um, coaches previously um, and done enormous amounts of work, 15, 20 hours um, a week um, and um, then to move across to Trivalo um, and improve so quickly, even though at first I was quite um, probably a bit scared, to be honest, because I, I was doing so much less volume, but the structure and the sessions were right. So it's really just having confidence um, in that um, as well. So once you've, you've invested the time, gone through the process to find the right coach, is just trusting the process. And I have athletes now um, that I coach that from day one, just trust the process straight away. They're ticking all the boxes. um, They're asking questions about why am I doing this session? And that's something that I've been really big and something I hadn't done previously with other coaches. And when I started with Jared and and would get sessions asking, why am I doing this session? What is it improving? Um, And, you know, I could really see the benefits after Jared explaining to me about what sessions are improving what and why and relating to the specific racing I was doing, whether it was gravel racing um, or mountain bike race um, or a road race I'd targeted, um, it all made so much sense and it made it a lot easier for me to trust that process fully and tick every box. Um, So be inquisitive up front um, with your coach, ask questions, ask why you're doing that session um, because if your coach can't give an answer back as as to why it's going to help you and that being related back to what your main goals are in cycling, um, that should probably start ringing some alarm bells for you. On Just following on that, um, once you've selected what you think is the right coach and you've, as you said, you've had a few goes at it, the relationship with the coach and it being a team, is that what's you've found a little bit different and the investment from the other side and now you're accountable to to the outcome of the session. How How's that? That's something you never experienced from what you've told me um, previously. Yeah, as, as I mentioned previously, I'd just been given a training plan and it was basically you can follow it or you don't follow it and I didn't really have um, anyone giving, providing feedback on any of my high-intensity sessions or kind of didn't really matter whether I was hitting my numbers or not hitting my numbers. Um, and then moving to Trivalo, um, uh, just the amount of communication and commitment that I got back on the other end, um, I'm definitely someone that gives 110% to something. Um, so to have that matched back um is was incredible and um obviously our relationship um jared and i's relationship over the last three years has really gone uh, from strength to strength and jared would know probably more about how i'm feeling every day than my wife would because the communication is so strong and it, it has to be um you know when you've got um goals and you're unsure whether like you'd spoken about my decision to not ride um in the dirty warning 
um, like Jared's there helping me make those decisions and he knows it wasn't just the morning of that he knew what I felt like. It was he knew a week before that my, my um, stats through Whoop were trending in the wrong direction. Um, yeah, so to have that, that level of communication and attention to detail and commitment back um, to me as an athlete, um, it was something I'd never experienced before. Um, and, yeah, it's, I think, definitely um, improved me as an all-round athlete as well. Now, I, uh, I'm i going to regret asking this question because I never want to give you a chance to get to pump yourself up and um, you're a humble guy, but we do, we do banter with each other privately, but I'll give you the floor, Nick. I want you to tell us uh, your best race um, and your best racing experience uh, and why that was so good to you and, and why you were so proud of that race. Good question, George. I'd like to uh, pick out multiples with races where it's been uh, <laughs> you, you and I at the end of a race uh, and me maybe sometimes getting over the top of you, but I'll spare you that um, on this occasion. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great question because I think someone typically may mention uh, a result where they won a race. Um, for me, um, it would probably be um, unbound um, gravel race in America um, that I did this year, um, and I think I got top fifty. Uh, top fifty, so it's not as if I won the race. Um, but for me, and I think this has been a really big mind shift for me over the last couple of years. Um, and I remember the last time that I rode in the national championships at, at Bunyong, um, I dropped my chain on lap four or five, and I'd done an enormous amount of work. Um, to get to that point. Um, so I was working a nine to five job at that time. Um, I was getting up at 4.30, be on the bike at five, do two hours before work. I was using some annual leave to finish a little bit earlier each day. I'll then do a couple of hours after work. Um, so just invested so much time into this race to, to then drop a chain on the fifth lap um, and it was interesting. I, I would tell people what happened um, and everyone's feedback was, oh, it's like so amazing the amount of work that you put in to get to that point. It wasn't, the result was irrelevant. No one cares that I lasted fifth lap, like to five laps. No one would have cared if I finished. No one would have cared if I won. So for me, my mindset changed to the journey of it and the three or, the three or so months that I put in to that point is was 99% of that experience. The race was only 1%. So a lot of people walk away and go, oh, it was a disaster. I didn't finish. But that was really only 1% of the experience. Um, and that's why Unbound was so amazing to me. I put in an enormous amount of work um, in terms of hours off the bike, um, all my commitment off it, whether it be diet, um, uh, saunas, um, you know, making decisions to, um, you know, not do as many social activities um yeah so to go to that event um, and finish uh, in the top 50 against so many amazing athletes um you know it's hard when you say to finish top 50 but to give people some perspective about some of the the guys that were there there was probably 10 to 20 either current or ex world tour riders there so there were people like ted king who was peter sargon's lead out man um back in the day ian boswell rode for sky um lawrence tandam who's finished top 10 in the tour Thomas Decker, top 10 at Liège, Nathan Haas, Lockie Morton, all these amazing riders. And then you've probably got another 
oh, 30 to 50 maybe gravel pros or um, amazing mountain bikers that have won American national championships. So, um, yeah, to finish 50, top 50 there, um, yeah, it was probably my most amazing, I guess, uh, experience and event that I've done to date. I know that was a bit long-winded, um, but, yeah, as I said, it wasn't something that was a – I won it or finished on the podium. I only finished in the top 50, but that is an experience for a three-month period of the leading and all the training and then the race day experience. Yeah, it was incredible. It was a great uh, um, journey. And for those listening, um, we really uh, really focused on that being your big your big event and to travel to the US for that and um, in, the middle of, in the middle of winter in, in Australia and uh, try to prepare for that event. Um, did you... I know you and I have talked about post the post of that event, and you know you and I were carrying on like we you just won because it was it was such an outstanding performance against that quality field in you know it's basically a world ranked uh, event and and that really gave you some confidence, didn't it, with the way you prepared and it highlighted the areas you now needed to work on. And what was your mindset like after that? And now the decisions you've made about your future as a gravel rider. Tell, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about that journey. Yeah, it's a really good point, Jerry. Um, I guess I'm someone, while I put in I put in a lot of effort to be the best uh, athlete that I can be, probably never had the confidence uh, in my own ability at that level um, or even at the National Road Series level that I had the ability to influence a race um, uh, and then – I guess my experience at Unbound and I was in the second group before I punctured and, and, you know, I had riders like Thomas Decker in my group who said top 10 in Liège, Baston Liège and I'm there riding next to him. Um, gave me a lot of confidence after the race um, in my own ability. Um, I guess I probably looked at Unbound as potentially kind of being my last big hurrah and then maybe stepping it back a bit and, and kind of taking – Cycling, um, not quite as serious, but after that event, um, I kind of got back and my wife probably not that happy about it, but it went the other way. Um, I was like, you know, I, I need to continue to give this a really big crack. Um, and now I, I go into events and my mindset, irrespective of who is there, is that I can do really well and I can influence a race. And that, that has been such a big mind shift, uh, mind shift for me. Um, and really taking the momentum of the, uh, I guess, the training and the commitment to training from that event, um, you know, is almost become my standard now rather than it being just what I would do for an A race. It's really been this is how I train all the time, which is a massive commitment and it's not for everyone, um, you know, depending on their work and family. I'm, I don't have kids yet. I'm really fortunate to have a really flexible workplace. Um but I guess all the little things I do um, around that as well, um, yeah, I guess has really taken my cycling to um, to another level. I want to touch on the gravel side of things and, and what makes you so excited about it because while you are a road cyclist and a cycling coach, you are also, as we've um, said, a gravel cyclist and a gravel cycling coach. So uh, what, do you, what do you love about gravel racing um, and where do you see it as a sport at the moment? It's just growing massively in popularity, especially over in the States. 
Yeah, I've been saying for quite a number of years, George, that I really think gravel uh, racing is the future. And I think we're definitely seeing that shift over the last six to 12 months now, even with the amount of events here in Australia. Um, America has really pioneered gravel racing. Um, if you look at um, America now, there's almost no road racing at all. Basically, it's just um, their crit series um, and gravel racing and, and mountain biking is still a big part over there as well. But um, I really see Australia following in a similar way um, to America, um, which is maybe a little bit sad that there won't be as much um, road racing now. But I think we can probably see it in the amount of races that are getting cancelled now because of low entries. Um, and then races like Dirty Warney, um, Thunderbolt Adventure Ride, Dirty Pig and Whistle, all these gravel races popping up. Um, and I think there's a few reasons for that. Jared mentioned it um, earlier in the podcast, but safety being a main thing. Um, to go out on gravel roads where there's no cars takes um, you know, a really big uh, the safety aspect out of riding on the road. Um, and that's why a lot of people turn to Zwift as well, just from the safety aspect. So that's definitely um, a, big th- a big thing. I think um, getting permits is becoming harder and harder for road, ra- road races. That's a lot easier for gravel racing. Um, and I think just the enjoyment um, out of it, I think, and this is just my opinion, um, there's maybe not a tendency to do road racing as much for the com- people's need for competitiveness. I think the competitiveness that people are getting from gravel riding is the sheer, um, like you're ticking a box for doing a wild six, seven hour ride. And that's people are getting the same feeling from that than they would from a race. Um, So I think that's becoming a lot more appealing um, to people. Um, So I really see it progressing um, in that manner. And um, I think, Road racing definitely won't be as prominent here in Australia. You can only look at the National Road Series and the teams that have folded over the last six months. Um, So I think all the directions point that we're going to be in a similar kind of shape to America in the next few years, which um, for me, I think is exciting because I love gravel racing. Um, But I think the other thing is is that uh, unlike road racing, where you can enter a road race, if you get dropped, it's a pretty pretty lonely, soul-searching experience um, when you've got to do half a race by yourself where in gravel racing you might have 20 or 30 people that you know are there to really push themselves and go for a win but the other half are just doing it for the adventure and for the challenge of actually competing the distance so it's really a sport that's probably more for the recreational cyclists and the elite which I don't think road racing particularly has which um, which is another really big plus um, for gravel races as well. We've seen a lot of uh, um, that in Europe, I, I kind of look at Europe and the Grand Fondo or the Sportif, as they call it. Um, uh, so road cycling with categories and divisions and, and masters championships, there's, some of them are still there, but the, the Sportifs, which is a Grand Fondo such as the Paris-Roubaix or Tour, Tour of Flanders or Liège-Bastogne-Liège, they're all available to the average punter to go and comp- compete in um, as a, a challenge race and sure there's guys doing these grand fondos who want to be in the first 10 they're, they're at every race but the other 18,000 who seem to line up for these events are doing it to race on the same course that the pros are going to do the next day and and I think Europe has taken a little bit of dif- different tact and gravel racing and mountain biking and cross 
uh, cross bike is still huge in Europe, but the Grand Fondo Sportif is what's really taken off. And, and we follow America more than we follow Europe. And I think you're right, Nick. I think uh, whatever the trend is in, in America, you can guarantee a year or two later that that's what's going to happen in Australia. And, and the Sportifs, we don't have the population to fill all of the events. Um, whereas in Europe, you know, every single Sportif, on a, they're almost every Saturday. Um, before any of the spring classics or the, the the road racing season for the UCI calendar, they're they're there every weekend, and literally they're between ten and twenty thousand entries, um, you know, each weekend, and that's where all the cyclists are in in Europe. And I think the gravel racing is going to be the same here if we can get if we can get some more events um, happening, like you've mentioned, and there are plenty on the calendar already that people will you know will use it as a day out and and get their tents with their mates and and uh, have the barbecue afterwards. And it's a real fun day. Um, and I, I just think it's uh, it's going to have a future and uh, we need to embrace it rather than avoid it. Yeah, I think even even domestically as well, um, Jared, you look at the Fred Eakin, and they might have only had, I don't know, the weather wasn't great, but 100 to 150 entries. The Dirty Warney had 350. Um, so already we're seeing such a big, um, a big shift in just the participation for road compared to gravel um as well and I, I kind of feel like it's happened quite quickly too it's only really been over a six to 12 month period we've seen these events really starting to pop up yet um this shift in participation towards these is um you know has really happened quite quickly so nick to finish off um we will get you on the podcast uh, again in the future especially with um the pro gravel racing circuit taking off a little bit and we had dylan johnson on the podcast earlier on the year who is um, a key part of that whole scene um, so i'm sure we'll get you on next year to talk a lot about gravel racing specifically but we do want to know for everyone that can follow your journey from now and when we get you back on what are your key goals for next year what are you aiming for now that you've had that mindset shift uh, so I'm going to have uh, a crack at the road nationals again, which is my first time for a couple of years, which is um, the last time I tried was the experience I spoke about with dropping my chain uh, on lap four or five. Um, so I'm going to give that um, another crack. Um, it's a race uh, that also means a fair bit to me as well. Um, my parents grew up, sorry, my parents' family home is on um, the nationals circuit um so uh, i spent a few years there as well um and it was actually one of the last races um that my i actually competed in the grand fondo uh of it when i just started cycling and absolutely suffered around six laps i thought it was absolutely impossible how someone would do 16. um my dad watched me do that which is the last cycling uh event that he saw me do before he passed away so it's one that means um, a lot to me so I'm um, gonna have a crack at that um, and then we'll go back for another go at Unbound next year um, there's a couple of races over there um, like Gravel Locos as well which is kind of seen as the big preparation race a lot of them um, people that want to do well at, um, at Unbound will do Gravel Locos um, so they're kind of um, the main goals for me um, next year which is which is really exciting to um, get to head back to America um, again, especially with um, the experience under my belt. Um, I think we'll, we'll definitely pay dividends to having a go a second time, and then uh, fortunate enough to be heading on the Belgium uh, a Belgian trip with Trivalo. Um, so I have to try and get myself in some kind of form uh, to make sure that you aren't doing too da- too much damage to me in the races there, Jordy. I know that the Quaramont uh, up the Quaramont next year in Belgium is your A race. 
don't don't talk about Unbound or <laughs> the Road Series. I know that that's your A race and that's what you're trying to peak for. So, <laughs> Dad, anything from you to finish off? No, look, I'm really excited for Nick's journey, uh, and, and he's he's really made the commitment uh, to to really put everything into this year. Um, from, the, from the minute he finished Unbound, that was a conversation we had. Let, let's have a real crack at seeing what what you can do with another year under your belt, and uh, I'm really excited. You cannot get a better. Uh, more dedicated athlete to, to coach. Um, Nick Nick is is just the ultimate professional um, in it, every way he he prepares himself. Uh, his his course knowledge of the events he's doing, his research, um, he understands his numbers, um, the training sessions. He's he's just nailing them. Um, he's staying in the ranges. His recovery is fantastic. He does the the extra mile with the strength and conditioning and working hard there and. And, and the altitude and the and the heat, um, the nutrition. There is, you know, it's a great example of how to go about. Um, whether you're just a an average Joe, you can actually, you know, get the most out of yourself if you're willing to put in a little bit of time in your chosen activity. And, uh, and he's a great example of uh, how to go about things. The professionalism he he uh, shows um, is such a great attribute that Nick's got. So I'm no doubt that he will actually give it his best, and and the result will be a really outstanding performance. And it doesn't necessarily be based around winning or losing. It's it's you know it's the journey that he's on this year, which has already been you know a fair bit of a blast so far. So I, I can't wait to see how his journey unfolds over the next uh, six months, and uh, let's let's look and see. Nick, I hope you enjoyed your first time on the podcast. Many more to come. Thank you for joining us. Can't wait, Jordy. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jared. If you want to, if you are someone that's interested in gravel riding or gravel racing, uh, it is obvious that it's an area that's growing and we are willing to coach you through that and put you on a program that gets you specific for that. So make sure you inquire within. You can go to our website and inquire to get one-on-one coaching from us. That is it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening as always and we'll see you on the next one. 